everybody, and welcome to another episode of the iFreak Show. This week on our panel, we have Alex Bush. Hello, hello. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. And uh, yeah, we were chatting about topics. And um, if you haven't figured it out listening to me be on this podcast by now, I am very clearly not an expert in Swift or iOS development. Um, however, Alex has been doing this for a while and, you know, our other panelists are, are, are qualified on this. But yeah, so we were talking and I was like, well, I've got these couple of apps I want to build and I would like to learn how to build them. And Alex is like, well, let's just do an episode where you ask me how to do it. I'm like, that's, that's a really good idea. So yeah, I thought we'd just jump in and do it. I'm also curious, Alex, have you done much uh, Mac development? Because some of this might wind up wanting to be a desktop app. Not much of Mac development. I mean, I've done, I've been doing iOS for nine years probably at this point, <clears throat> but Mac, I would only play a little bit before uh, whole, mm -hmm. uh, what is it, Catalyst thing. And now with Catalyst, I dabble with it a little more actually than, than previously because the U, making UI is a slightly easier with Swift UI. Right. At least some of the things, uh, but no, not much, unfortunately. That's fine. I was just curious because... Uh, I do yeah, want I mean, to. It's like now it's a great opportunity to do a cross-platform. And over the years, mm -hmm. as far as I know, Mac development became kind of more close, became, started to mimic um, iOS development closely. Right. This episode is sponsored by Headspin. They are thrilled to announce Headspin University. The mission of Headspin University is to offer free intro classes as well as industry-leading certification courses focused on test automation skills using frameworks like Appium and Selenium. To kick things off, they have released the Appium Collection, which is a curation of Appium-related webinars and articles by Jonathan Lips, Appium Project Lead and author of Appium Pro. They've also released an Appium Pro intro workshop also by Jonathan Lips. Later this year, they will be releasing their first flagship certification course designed to teach and evaluate Appium and Selenium fundamentals. The course will include over 20 hours of production quality video training developed by Jonathan, code samples, code challenges, instructor evaluation, and free use of Headspin devices for training and exploring your own projects. Learn more at headspin.io. Yeah, I've, I've kind of seen that a bit and talking to people. It's like, yeah, these frameworks, most of them work most of the time across all the devices. Right. So, you know, they, they pioneer some great idea for the iPhone and then they adapt it over. So, um, so yeah, so uh, I've got a couple of apps that I want to build. I'm a little bit curious. I mean, one of them seems pretty simple. So we'll probably just talk about it for 10 or 15 minutes. And then, yeah, I kind of want to dive into uh, one or two of the other ones and just see where that takes us. But the first one is um, I've been wanting for a while to build an app for devchat.tv, right? Mm -hmm. and so it essentially would um, pull in information about all the episodes. And I don't know if I would build like a, an API backend that I definitely am qualified on. Um, I've been doing Ruby on Rails for 15 years, uh, you know, and set something up on like GraphQL or something or... Or if I, you know, so do GraphQL or just pull it off of the RSS feeds, right? And then just have some metadata in a database somewhere where it can pull stuff from. Right. Okay. So let, let me put on a, at least briefly on, uh, put my consulting hat on and, uh -huh. then, you know, interview you, my quote unquote client, right? Oh, right, right, client. right on what are we even building, right? Right. <laughs> what is this thing? So I wouldn't go too deep into, uh, since, you know, we're talking, it's like a mock thing. We're talking hypotheticals right now. So right. we don't go dive too much into like the business proposition and does it even have an audience, which clearly devchat.tv does, right? Right. Uh, but, uh, you know, besides those questions, so what would, what's the functionality there? So you already mentioned we want to display lists or list of episodes for each one of the podcasts, right? Or you want to have an app per podcast? How, how do you want to go about it? Um, let me, hang on. Let me do a thing. So I actually had somebody send me a spec for an app that he wanted. Mm -hmm. And now that I'm thinking about it, let's pretend that I'm going to transition this into um, podcastapp.com, right? And so people can come and they can enter their information for the podcasts and 
you know, essentially set up a podcast for their, for their podcast. Right. So they don't have to be programmers. It'll just do, do all the things that, you know, that it needs to do. And Gmail is loading super freaking slow, but yeah. So he had a whole list of things that he wanted it to do. He wanted it to um, collect donations, which I'm sure is subject to the Apple tax. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, likely. So if you're um, implementing um, there are various options like in-app purchases or Apple Pay, and, and, yeah. and there is a difference. I think Apple Pay for like sort of outside goods, if I'm not mistaken. I'm not as versed in it, but this, no, th- no. this is more or less just a, hey, I want to support the podcast, right? So they just give us money. Um, right. I think it, either way, though, it's going to be taxed, as you said. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, if, if you're exposed to more people through the app, you know. Right. Well, sort of, why not? I wish it, it wasn't just yeah. that, as, as high as it is, but... Yeah, you're you're giving up thirty percent, but you're getting seventy percent of a much larger number. Right. So okay, so there there is payment. We we know that already. Yeah. Uh, then there is a probably like a podcast directory list. Yes. Right? So there's a podcast directory listing, push then, notifications. Mm-hmm. Then which I have built before. I've built a system that did push notifications, and that goes through a third party service, or at least it did when I did it. Yes. Last time I touched it was a long time ago though, but it was, um, yeah, like a third party thing that was okay. pro- proxy in between. Okay, Apple here we go. So a lot of this is going to be really, really simple. And then some of it is going to be a little bit more involved. So uh, he wants to be able to display all shows as a list and or grid. Pretty mm-hmm. simple, right? Uh, sort by favorite, alphabetical, active, dormant, most recent release. Mm-hmm. Probably also pretty simple, right? Uh, change the background color to match the color of the active podcast artwork. Again, you just, I'm assuming there's just a, a setting for the podcast. And then when you switch it, it says switch the background color to this. Um, submit feedback as a voice memo. Mm, that's interesting. So essentially what he wants is you hit a button, you submit feedback. And this particular person is a friend of mine. His name is Daryl. And he does a whole bunch of shows about TV shows, right? So um, he and his daughter have a show about Stranger Things on Netflix. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, they did shows that I listened to on Fringe when it was still releasing Lost, right? So these shows where it was like, you know, you're trying to puzzle out what's going on, right? Um, I know they've done it on a bunch of other shows that are less that way, but yeah. Okay. They had another show on Orphan Black, which was a terrific show. And it was like, you know, yeah. Well, so you had show theories, right? And so what he wanted was somebody would hit the button and say, you know, or Once Upon a Time was another one that they covered, right? So I think that this character is actually that character's daughter and blah, 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 right? And it's all going to tie back in this way. Yeah, anyway. Mm-hmm. So how much work are we looking at there? Like what, what would it take there? Is there a particular framework I need to pull in or things like that? Um, So, okay, there's several things there, right? So for the directory and displaying it as a sort of a grid of items or a list, that's pretty standard. You get away with your UI kit and UI uh, collection view probably. And you have different layouts for, well, grid or the list. Right. So that's pretty typical sorting part, uh, depending on how you implement your storage so you need to store right your um directory and probably episodes that you list of episodes that you fetched Mm -hmm. uh so for that you technically you could just go for um file storage right and you can Mm -hmm. get away with that i think because your lists are not as huge it's not like thousands of entries yeah, for episodes it could be, but for the shows themselves, yeah, yeah you're looking at a really, really short list. Maybe if you like wanted to search top, or right? sort episodes, yeah, like devchat.tv, we're looking at a few thousand. Right. And so that that may make way more sense to put in uh, core data or realm or something like that. I was about to say that, yep. So probably if we're using built-in frameworks, it's core data and uh, all the filtering and sorting and all that stuff. Uh, very handy there with an S predicates 
and you know <laughs> like using those for querying it uh and uh oh we also need to persist the audio files themselves right if we give that yes. functionality for downloaded um episodes yeah but we'd probably just set that up so that it's you know it would auto download only the ones that we know you want or that you tell us to write or something mm-hmm. like that. We, so there'd be some form of settings on that, right? You mark the show as favorite. You give it some kind of filter. I only want these episodes, right? Right. Yep. Uh, we also, we probably would want to utilize, there is a background feature, feature. I forgot how it's called, but basically your, the system gives a window of opportunity for your app to fetch periodically data it needs. So that's mm-hmm. in the case if we don't have a push for not push notifications, but push for the new data updates from the backend. If we right. just need to poll, then that, that would be handy. And the system typically learns sort of, oh, the user checks this app every day at 8 a.m. in the morning right before the commute. So the system probably will like call that your app's background execution method like right. 30 minutes before or something so that you could, well, fetch the new episodes or something and pull, pull the mm-hmm. data. Better way though, if we have the backend, just do a silent push to notify the iOS app that, oh, well, there's new stuff. Go, go fetch it. Can you do that? Yeah. So you like if if let's say we have a backend, so we're making the system a bit more complicated where the right. backend's more involved. But let's say we're not directly uh, on the iOS side pulling from RSS feeds, but we have a backend proxy between those RSS feeds and our app. So then that backend could be the one pulling the RSS all the time. And mm-hmm. when the new there's new data, that backend sends a pu- silent push to the iOS app to get the new content. Right. Well, in my situation, what I'm probably looking at is actually um, having the system that manages the RSS feed also managing the API to the Mm -hmm. mobile app, right? right? And so I push data in and it goes and updates the RSS feed and pushes the update to the app. Right. You would probably still want to, because you will update your RSS on your backend, the RSS that Apple picks up. Right. What your app is actually wants to read from is Apple's RSS, if that makes sense. So there are two different RSS feeds. There is one you supplying to Apple. Right. And then, and then there is another one coming from Apple for everyone else. Mm-hmm. So you want to consume from that one because they will augment it with more uh, data from their side, right? Oh, Okay. So you're essentially hitting an RSS endpoint that Apple provides. Yes. So that will cover that. Oh, yeah. So then for playback, right, we, we got the... So, yeah, oh, yeah, right. Sorry. Before that. So we get the file, links to files. Then we probably want core data for the episodes, right, stored there as we kind of mentioned. Could the be metadata or the actual audio files? Oh, the metadata and then the right. audio files, right? And the audio files could be large. Let's say it's a couple of hours of time, yeah. right? That's probably... Hardcore like, history. <laughs> right? Like, Have you listened to that? It's like five hours. Wow. <sighs> Too much. My, my commute is not that long. <laughs> well, I work from home, so yeah, neither is mine. Right. In fact... As we record this, so does everybody else in the whole dang world. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed, yeah. Um, so, yeah, so for, for files, since you don't know the size and kind of err on the side of caution and assume they're large, probably save them to disk. Right. And then, and then in your core data, you'll just have a field or a column. Yeah, that, you'll have a reference field in there. Exactly, for like URL, local yeah. URL to that file. Yeah, your file's over there. Go get it when you want it. And then, so we got that, then we need playback. Here's another framework comes into play. I didn't list that, but that is on here for, with him. And it's not just playback, but he wants playback at uh, 1, 1. 1.25, 1.5, 1.75, and 2x speed. Right. So I don't know technically like how to do it actually. I've never done it, but I'm sure it's in AV Foundation uh, framework, right? So AV Foundation yeah. would be the one, one handling audio and video on iOS. 
Yeah, I figure because all of the players do it and Mm -hmm. Apple's music players will do it too. So I'm sure you can change the playback speed. I think uh, some of them do, they trim silence. That's tougher to do, likely. I I don't know how that that magic is done. But I'm sure there is either something built in or you you do some sort of an algorithm-ish something. Yeah, Yeah, you have a software trick that analyzes the file and trims it off before it plays it. I wonder if now with a core ML, you could be like very clever and have some learning thingy going on that like constantly learns how to do that and then eventually does it very well. You know, honestly, that would not shock me in the least. Right. So, okay. So there's that. And then we got the last part, I think, that we didn't talk about uh, playback. Oh, sorry. Recording. Feedback. feedback. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So for that, same thing, actually. So you need AV Foundation. There's a mm-hmm. MV or MP recorder, play, recorder player something object that does that. Mm-hmm. And um, kind of same thing, yeah. Assuming you have some UI for that, you press a button, then you start recording, captures audio, you get a AV asset file that could be then uh, mapped into a binary NS data. Mm-hmm. And that, that NS data is what get you, you send eventually back to your backend and right. pro- process it there. Overall, yeah. I mean, overall, that's like the big picture of all of the yep. tools you would need. The breakdown of it in terms of like more specific architecture depends on your UI, but it's like like a tab bar view controller mm-hmm. or something with like three tabs probably. Yep. And then a couple of view controllers for when you select a specific podcast that, that, that you need one view controller to display that list of episodes, do all that stuff. Then you need one for playback. Right. And then you need one for recording that feedback. Yeah. What about um, skipping forward and backward when you're doing the play playback? Oh yeah. So that's also AV foundation magic, right? Yeah, I figure a lot of that's in there. So your playback, you're skipping forward and backward, you're scrubbing, mm-hmm. um, you know, anything like that. Yeah. How about searching? Is there a good uh data search plugin for that's likely Swift? gonna be your core data implementation you okay. probably not going anywhere else for that again given that your amount of data that you have is not as large uh-huh um yeah you you just do it with a ns predicate likely i'm just wondering yeah i mean i guess it only has to search through in my case a few thousand episode records right Right. But what I'm wondering is, is, you know, so if I run that search, is it going to be fast enough to run all that or? So, so, okay. It should. Or, or, or I'm going to, am I going to have to create an index? And if I, if I have to create an index, will, will core data do a full text index for me or do I have to build that on my own? Uh, you don't need, you shouldn't. So that's supposedly the magic of core data. It should take mm-hmm. care of it. It's not always super performant. So actually in this case, I think if ideally what you would want to do, you might not have all the list of everything locally, right? Even if it's 10,000 episodes of some old, old podcast from back in the day, right? you just probably will not have all the entire list downloaded locally on your iOS device. So, so you I likely will on the back end, you just implement a call. Yeah. You, you will. So yeah, let's say it's a throttled search, like uh, what is it called? Throttled request or something. Mm-hmm. Basically as the user types, every time they enter a character, you don't want to issue a search request right away. Right. You probably wait for like half a second and, mm-hmm. uh, and then you make a request first local request for your core data to display any cached data. Right. Anything that it already knows about. Right. Yep. And then in parallel with it, you make a backend request to fetch actual full list for that search result. Right. And that's what you display eventually when the backend uh, comes back to you with a response. Right. And so then you just give some indicator that it's like, Hey, these are episodes that we had cached data on. Mm -hmm. And then, 
you know, we're, we're going, we're going to the server for other stuff. And then I guess the other thing is, is if they're on an airplane or something and they didn't want to pay for Wi-Fi, then they're just, yeah, they just, they get just get local, local results, results and that's it. Mm-hmm. Which I, um, when I'm flying, I'll do it all the time. I'll just hit like a button, download all episodes for that podcast that I want. Oh yeah. And that's it, right? Yeah. I've done that a few times or like if I, I was taking a course on building courses mm-hmm. and yeah, same deal, right? I went into the system and I said, Kate, download that and that and that and everything. And right. And then I just had it when I was traveling. Actually, can now we talked through it. I, I like this application in, in terms of it touches everything. It, it has like backend stuff. It has local business yep. logic. It has local storage. It also posts data back to the backend. Yep. It's pretty nice. Yeah. So one that isn't on his list that I think might be kind of fun and you could actually then, you know, stitch stuff together on the back end and things like that is if people could like take a picture of where they're listening to the show or something like that. Right. Mm. So, you know, it's like, well, we were, I mean, right now we're in the middle of this virus thing, but <laughs> you know, let's imagine a world where, you know, we weren't right. It's like, you know, Hey, I, you know, I listened to your podcast on the top of the Eiffel tower or in front of, you know, this famous building or, you know, right. W- walking a dog, right. Yeah, or even that, you know, that's fine. <laughs> My view listening to your podcast is the rear end of their dog, right? Yes. <laughs> Early in my career, I figured out which jobs were worth working at and which ones weren't, mostly by trial and error. I created a system that I used to find jobs and later contracts as a freelancer. If you're looking for a job or trying to figure out where you should go next, then check out my book, The Max Coder's Guide to Finding Your Dream Developer Job. The book walks you through figuring out what you want, vetting companies that meet your criteria, meeting that company's employees, and getting them to recommend you for a job. Don't settle for whoever has listed their job on the job board. Go out and proactively find the job you'll love. Buy the book at devchat.tv slash job book. That's devchat.tv slash job book. But you get the idea, right? So you could do a lot of fun things with it. And then you could put up a collage of, um, you know, wherever they're listening or whatever mm-hmm. on your website. And, you know, promote some of that that way. I mean, there are a lot of fun things you could do with it. So, so the feature I would want, uh, but I listen to mostly tech podcasts rather than right. entertainment podcasts. I want some sort of like a synchronization between show notes and the playback, like timestamp or something like that. So uh-huh. if someone mentions something. So I saw it the other day. It, it's, I want this too. I know what you're talking about. Go ahead. I was going to say, like, it was a YouTube video, but what they did, and it's a podcast effectively, but what they did, they don't show their faces, but they show, like, some generic picture video mm-hmm. thing as a background. But then every time they throw in a term, term of sorts or say something that needs a definition, instead of pausing and explaining it, they just show a little, like, a blurb there in the videos while explaining it. So you can pause, oh, yeah. actually, and read about it. Yeah, that's not what I was after, actually, but it's the same idea, right? Because there is some aspect to that. He lists uh, advertising banners, right? So if you have a sponsor for your show, you put their banner in. um, And it would be real nice as part of the playback, right? If it just switched over, you know, so it switches over and it's like, hey, we've got, we're sponsored by, who's one of our sponsors these days? G2i. Mm Mm-hmm who incidentally advertises mostly for React and React Native. But <laughs> um, anyway, so, you know, they're, they're a big sponsor. And so, you know, it comes up, but then it would come up with their logo and it would make it really easy. So my thinking is, and, and I would love to build, I have another idea for like a podcast listening app that does a lot of the same stuff, but just in general. And yeah, what I would like is like, so somebody can just tap the screen or, you know, give some other indication that, oh, I want to remember this. You know, it could be the same thing with a link, right? So somebody mentions, mm-hmm. um, you know, AV Foundation or something, right? Yeah, I was about to say, like, exactly what, what I just talked about. Like, and AV so, Foundation and UI Collection View. Like, why don't... Yeah. You could have links to that. Right. And so when, it, when you say AV Foundation View, then it pops up with the tap the screen, you know, to, you know, to make a note. And then what it does is it either keeps track of the notes in the app or you can configure it to text you the link or, you know, something like that. Right. Mm -hmm. 
And so at the end of the day, then you, you know, all the things that you were trying to remember to do or check up on or whatever off of the app, you know, somebody doesn't add for something you really, you know, really want, then it's like, okay, I was going to go check that out later. And then what happens is it makes it easier for the sponsors to know they came from the podcast, but it also makes it easier for the listener to, you know, so it'll increase conversions overall because people are finding what they want and remembering to go get it. Right. So, yeah. So, yeah. So let's change gears a little bit because yeah, let's go to the podcast listening app. Um, I'm assuming that, uh, you know, a lot of this stuff is going to be the same. The only thing I'm really wondering about is um, are there any limitations as far as being able to go and like look at an RSS feed and things like that? Uh, What do you mean? So if it, it, let's just say I made Chuck's podcast app, right? Uh And so I can just go subscribe to a podcast in the app, you know, and then it allows me to interact. So I can create playlists and whatever, right? Right. Um, But it has to go check an RSS feed periodically, right? Mm -hmm. And so when that happens, is there like a limit to how much network you can use? Or is that kind of up to the user to go, hey, you're, you're pushing me over my um, usage with my... No, not really. Um, So on Android, I believe they they can limit. Yeah. Or something like that. They can throttle you. Yeah. But on iOS, no, it's, it's, you can't explicitly request it either. So it's like the, the thing I was mentioning before that window of opportunity that the system gives you for background execution, uh-huh. that really would be your, the way to go about it for polling. Okay. Yeah. So, and again, and I think if you're really building something like that, what you want to go for is a backend implementation of your own that does it for you and then pushes to the iOS rather than making it go poll. Well, that's interesting. See the different there. The I guess the issue that I have with that is that if if you install my app on your phone mm-hmm. and then it goes and it checks RSS feeds on its own, then I don't have any overhead going forward. Yes. If I'm running yes. a background, you know, a backend that's doing some of this work in the background, yeah, it might be a better experience for you, but it's going to cost me money to keep it running, and so. I may want to make you pay for a subscription or something for that. Yep. And this is why they are all switching to that lately. Oh, it's what? To, to like all of the podcast apps, client apps, as far as I know, most of them transition to some subscription form because of this ongoing costs, because mm-hmm. otherwise the user experience is just not as good. That's fair. And to be fair on that too, I mean, subscription is a more sustainable model. And, and you could yeah. put some killer features in your app and make it worth it to them, right? To mm-hmm. It's like, hey, look, you know, this does, you know, whatever. I, I mean, uh, what's his name? Uh, Marco Arman, right? Mm-hmm. He's, he's running Overcast. Overcast. That's very famous yep. third-party uh, client, podcasting client. He talked, he blogged about it extensively over the last several years, uh, trying all sorts of model uh, monetization mm-hmm. models for a podcasting app like this. And I think now he's, as far as I know, stopped on ads model anyway. Mm-hmm. And there's like yeah. a donation type of thing. But he still has an overhead of this Rails server that he runs. See, I didn't the, realize he had a backend server that was doing some of the work for you. You kind of have to. Even the light one, you still have to. Because like, let's say, all right, let's say you're not doing the pushes and all of that stuff. Let's, just, mm-hmm. let's say you just want to, like you just, just want to parse the RSS, right, coming from Apple. You still right. don't want in this scenario, you don't want your iOS app doing RSS parsing directly. It's an XML fa- format. It's very tedious, annoying, yeah. error-prone. Probably want to have a backend that takes care of that and then returns a nicely formatted JSON back. Well, the other thing is, is like, especially on our shows, I mean, Ruby Rogues has almost 500 episodes on it, right? Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, you're downloading a few megs of XML and parsing the whole thing just to find out that, hey, there's a new episode, <laughs> right? right? So, yeah, that makes sense. You know, you get that ping from the back end that says, okay, here, you, you've got five new episodes. Here's where they are. Go download them. Right. I think I, I might be mistaken. I don't know. I think RSS is paginated, though. Maybe. No. 
No? Okay. Yeah, if that's the entire thing, then yeah, then it even more sense. Makes even more sense to have a backend, right? Yeah, absolutely. So So yeah, it's yeah. like kind of nowadays if you're solopreneur like uh indie dev and building something like that, you have to touch the backend as well. You have to do it. You can't yep. just be all iOS. Even if you can build a Mac app too, which is, you know, great. Now you have sort of almost double the market. <laughs> he doubled the market, but it's not, yeah, it doesn't always translate one-to-one either. So. Yeah. And, and that backend would be handy for both, right? For your Mac app and iOS app. That's true. You do share the, you do share the setup and everything for the backend, but the, the trouble is, is yeah, you know, you're going to have a different layout and different mm-hmm. concerns sometimes for the, different size screens. I mean, we see this anyway, building iOS apps for the iPhone versus the iPad. Right. So, you know, the I, anyway. So yeah, that's, that's interesting. I'm not giving away everything that I would like in all of these apps because personally I, I want to have them and have the competitive advantage of having them a part of my app. And then somebody else can go, oh, I need that too and go build it. But then I'm out there before them with that awesome feature. So, um, but yeah, that, that's definitely an area. Uh, one other one that, uh, and I, we've talked about this a little bit, is the um, Double Ender app for podcasters, right? Um, as much as I like the idea of putting that together and even just releasing it Mac only on Mac OS and, and, uh, and making that work, I think some people, and just to give you an example, so I have a, dare I mention, I have a political podcast that I've been working on. Um, and one of the people that I interviewed, we were doing the interview over zoom, but for whatever reason, it just wasn't working on his desktop machine. Uh He would talk and I mean, I couldn't understand (laughs) him at all. Right. And so, um, he got on zoom on his phone and worked fine. Right. And, and I could see that too, where some, somebody like even calls in right on their phone through the phone but they want a high quality recording of the interview so they can get that to me afterward. You know, I'd still like to be able to say, okay, start, you know, go start your recording app, right. Mm-hmm. For, for the double ender. And when it's done, right. Then it'll upload your copy so that I have high quality on my end and high quality on your end. Cause the mic on the iPhone is actually reasonably decent. It's not terrific, but it's better than what you're going to get over the phone dialing into a zoom call. And so I've thought about that too. And just been like, you know what, if, if somebody's in a pinch, they can plug in a halfway decent microphone into their phone or their iPad and then, you know, record that way. And so on that, I guess for the most part, it's going to have a pretty simple interface. We already talked about recording. Mm-hmm. And it's going to have the same issue there as far as like uploading audio files as the voice memo. So, right. Yeah. It needs to be done like immediately. Yeah. Ideally. But then if it's a large file, you, you had two hour conversation with someone, then that becomes tough. Right. So you, you yeah. need to store it locally temporarily. And yeah, exactly. All that. I would say maybe even break it down into multiple files if it's really big. Yeah, that wouldn't be a bad way to go. Yeah. Because if, even if you can technically upload a large file in one go, then the user just puts the app to sleep thinking, oh, it's going to upload, yeah. right? But then the system shuts down your app. So, yeah, it, yeah that one's actually a bit more complex because then now on recover, when you re, re, apps back to foreground or something, you need to check where you stopped and then keep uploading from that point on. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. And I could see it in the background. Yeah. Just, yeah. Getting shut off. But if you have, yeah, if you split it up every 10 minutes, you cut to the next deal, then mm-hmm. you could send it up to the back end, have the back end stitch it back together. I think I had to do something like this only once a long time ago. I think there was a library that mm-hmm. you would use and um, you don't have to, you didn't have to break down the file, but it will, it will have some sort of a hashing mechanism for right. checking like what was already uploaded to, to the backend to continue from that point on. 
Right. Because deep down, it's packages anyway. So it's sort of done for you. Yeah. But on a very, very low level. Yep. Uh, yeah, that's out of my competency, <laughs> to be honest. Um, to really do something as low level as this. Yeah. It's definitely interesting, though. Yeah. But yeah, so th those are some of the apps that I thought about building. Um, one other one that I've also thought about building, and I've talked to a few other folks, and this again goes back to the, the politics, and I'm not going to go into all the details, but um, one thing that happened is we're going into primary season here in Utah, and people can't go vote, <laughs> right? Because right. they don't want people, a lot of people in the same place. And uh, the, the political parties here in Utah, the way that they do it is they have a convention where they nominate the, their uh, candidates, similar to the way that the national convention happens, right? And so if we can't have a convention, and, and this is probably going to be an issue anyway, you know, it, depending on how this whole virus thing works itself out, the conventions for the national parties are supposed to happen in what, in July? Something like that, yeah. So, you know, they may have the same issue. And so it's, okay, well, um, you know, the states appoint their electors or their delegates to go to the national convention. Well, we can't have them go to the national convention because, you know, we're not having big mm -hmm. gatherings. And even if, you know, things are kind of tamed by then with the virus situation, we still may not want to chance it because we don't know if it's going to come back or flare up. And so you know, a voting app is something that I thought would be interesting. Hmm. But yeah. then you have all the security concerns there, right? But it's mostly with the transmission, you know, so is it transmitting accurately? Is it maintaining somebody's an anonymity? It's the, yeah, it's identity and security. Yeah. It's, it's a tough yeah. thing to solve. Well, and then you have to maintain it, you know, into the server and then you have to maintain the data security on the server and, Anyway, right. hmm. yeah, so those are some of the ones that I've been thinking about, but to be perfectly honest, most of it's around the podcast stuff. Right. Um, one other one related to podcasting that I'm going to throw at you really quickly. Um, man, we've already been talking for almost an hour. It's because I don't shut up. Um, so I've been working on a system called PodWrench, and PodWrench is an online tool. It's, it's Rails app, and it... Um, it basically, we're, we're getting ready to move some of our shows onto it. And so it has a whole process to it that just walks through our process of building podcasts. Right. And so, um, you know, somebody can schedule, um, schedule themselves onto the show. They can, um, they can update show notes and prep notes, you know, things like that. And I, I've been thinking more and more about it and I've realized that it'd be really, really convenient if we could get a mobile app on that. I mean, there are other systems out there that do a lot of this stuff, but most of them don't have a mobile app that you can use to manage your podcast. And to be perfectly honest, like if my team calls me up and they're like, Hey Chuck, um, you know, we have this problem. Uh, I want to be able to whip out my phone and solve it. And right now I can go to podwrench.com and sign in and solve it. But the web interface, it's, it's just not really perfectly suited for the mobile experience, right? And mm -hmm. yes, I feel like we need to fix that. But I wonder if, uh, you know, if there's a better way to just do it through a mobile app. And that way I just pop open the PodWrench app and I go in and I fix it. No big deal. Right. So, so, you know, how do you manage something like that? I mean, most of it's going to be data management. I honestly don't see myself uploading or downloading files to my phone or anything yeah, like that. I was, was going to say it's a CRUD application, right? Mostly. Create, read, update, destroy. Yeah. So your <clears throat> potential iOS client becomes a, an interface to that CRUD API that you're uh, right. Rails app or whatever you have, RESTful backend provides. Yeah. In, in theory, you could actually, if you're like small scale and you don't don't need to grow it large and all of that stuff, you could like follow most of the conventions of REST and that's sort of the promise there. Mm -hmm. Follow REST conventions on the backend and if you're using Rails, that's really easy. And then 
assuming that you follow that on the back end in your API, you could use a bunch of libraries on iOS that will just automatically plug and play into that. Right. And again, if you're just having a CRUD thing, but that, it, it almost going to be like this admin panel mm-hmm. type of thing, right? Yes. So it's very like generic. Uh, yep. You could customize the UI though, if you want on iOS. Well, and I could also see under certain circumstances, um, you know, maybe we're using GraphQL, like I said mm-hmm. earlier, things like that. I'm assuming there's a GraphQL driver of some kind that you pull into Swift, so you just get it through CocoaPods or something. Right, there, there are implementations, yep. Have you ever felt like JavaScript is just everywhere? Well, we have. We actually had a conversation on JavaScript Jabber about what you can build with JavaScript. We've also talked about what JavaScript is and how we're inspired by the language. If you're interested in JavaScript, or doing web development, then you definitely need to check out JavaScript Jabber. You can find it at javascriptjabber.com. So, man, GraphQL is a different conversation, I think. Yeah, can you give me the five-minute DL on how... I I mean, how it works? No, I I get how it works, and we've done plenty of podcast Uh, episodes, but mostly just, you know, how do iOS developers see things like GraphQL versus REST versus... Okay. Else. Uh, this is my, I want to say, anecdotal experience. Um, basically, as far as I can tell, there are two camps. There is a FRP camp, if you will, or a functional camp. Uh-huh. The people who love it, the, the, those are the people on board with all the monads and all that stuff uh, in Swift that you could right. kind of implement. And they bleed over into the kind of the React on the web camp, yes. right? Yep. That's same, same group, in my opinion, of people are just doing it in a Swift using, or in iOS using Swift. Yeah. Uh, and then there's the OOP crowd. And OOP crowd not always likes that. They'd rather right. go for RESTful. Yeah, I'm, I personally am in the OOP crowd, but it doesn't mean I, it doesn't mean I exclude functional out of right. the equation. That means I use it where necessary. Mm-hmm. And I think specifically with GraphQL, the burden of selecting and crafting like the watch query, the query. To, put, to put it on the, the client side is not a good idea because you cannot update it as fast as the backend in terms of like App Store updates. Mm-hmm. That's the main concern with iOS applications. You have this delay between releases. Oh, if I get fair. blocked by Apple because they, some reviewer wanted to show off and just found some bug in your thing or whatnot. Uh-huh. Uh, if you control the backend and how it's queried there and do it through the backend, then right. full control, deploy it in a second or take it down, roll back. Can't roll That's back true. on iOS. Yeah, as long as you keep it consistent. Yeah, you keep the contract. In shape, right. Yeah, yeah. you keep the contract. And so then your new re- your, your updated REST endpoint may give more data than is mm-hmm. required, but that doesn't hurt you on the front end because it only knew to care about the things that are still there. Right. And in a way, like GraphQL, so this is, you're talking about this, I think that they call like lightweight changes and the, uh, like destructive changes or something like mm-hmm. that. I forgot the terminology. But basically, if you're adding new fields, roughly speaking, that's a lightweight change and doesn't affect right. legacy clients consuming the, the endpoint. Yeah. But if you make a change of type or remove or rename properties, that's a destructive change. It needs a migration. Yes. So in a way, GraphQL supports the lightweight change coming from the iOS, right? Like whatever mm-hmm. the GraphQL API offers any, right. let's say you have five versions of your app out there in the wild, each one of them could request different query, different properties through that right. GraphQL thing. Yeah, but, and as long as your GraphQL uh, resolvers are set up to give back that kind of data still, you're fine. Right. Yes. But I, I mean, I'd rather have versions though and like migrate using versions then it's very explicit you don't have to guess like is it available or not 
Um, but that's not as exciting or sexy as using the new, new cool hot technology. Of course. Everything I advocate for is boring and old, like 20 years old, but it works. Yeah. No, it's, <laughs> it's interesting. And the trade-offs are interesting because typically in the web space, right, where GraphQL is getting a lot of adoption mm-hmm. or a lot more adoption, I would say, because I have not heard a ton in any of the mobile, mobile-based arenas about GraphQL, except for maybe React Native. But mm, even mm-hmm. then, they, they, have a different, they have different ways of doing things that make it less onerous because mm-hmm. you can update some of the static files and JavaScript is considered static files. So you can update some of your um, domain logic-based files on your app without going through a full update. And so you can get away with, and on the web, I mean, you're loading up your JavaScript file off of the same server that's probably hosting your, your uh, backend. And so in that case, it, it all kind of moves together. And so it doesn't matter as much if you're forcing this kind of lightweight or heavyweight, you know, destructive change because you're pushing the same version of the app on both ends at the same time. Whereas, yeah, if you're writing it in Swift or something and you have to get it approved every time you change it, yeah, it, I could see that being more of an issue. So, because I can't, I can't kill any resolvers on the back end until I know none of the mobile apps on the front end are not using that data that way anymore. Right. So basically, like from the back end perspective, you can think about it this way. As, long, as soon as you're supporting mobile apps, you're going to be supporting like at least three versions of that app back Mm -hmm. at least right because someone somewhere doesn't have an auto update and they downloaded your app like six months ago so you have to support that until they're off unless it's like economically for your business is feasible to just cut those people right which is not always the case um yeah so with uh oh i was gonna say uh something about graphql there was a case um no i forgot though it's all good. It'll come back to you at the most inconvenient time. Of course, right? All right after we hang up. <laughs> yeah, and you're going to be like, dang it! <laughs> but, yeah. Oh, oh, that, oh. That. No, no, now I remember. So, one of the things that's kind of, no one tells me when I ask that question, like, oh, how's that resolved with GraphQL properly? So, the scenarios of, and again, I done Rails so long time ago so, uh, I just don't remember how it's called anymore. When you know when you request something like a list of index of things mm-hmm. and then they have it's a, a join model situation right. or join table rather and they right. have like some associated one to many things or many to many things mm-hmm. you don't want to as you par- uh, render that JSON, you don't want to actually render the nested objects fully. Instead, mm-hmm. you send the list of IDs. And then right. the client side, if it needs, it yes, fetches the n, those. Pl- n plus one query. Yeah. So how's it called? I, I forgot. Um, Lazy. Um, associated. Uh, no, something. Oh, yeah. And in this situation, sorry, sorry, one more piece of context for this. And then... Um, and espe- oh, yeah, and especially, well, let's say it's tagging, right? So you might have repeating tags in those posts, right? Mm-hmm. So instead of repeating them, you, you send back those uh, array of IDs of tags, and then right. you, in the same response, you sideload the tags. Mm-hmm. So that way, your uh, JSON response is very efficient and doesn't have much uh, duplicated data except the IDs, right. which is, you know, lightweight. Uh, so... That is not doable with GraphQL as far as I know. At least no one told, tells me ever how to do that. It is doable. What you do is in your query, you just request the ID and mm-hmm. then you can actually query and say, give me all the items that match the, this query. You can do it. I can't tell okay. you off the top of my I head see. how, but it's possible. Got it. Okay, then then I guess that's doable too. But yeah, it's the the biggest pain that I've had playing with GraphQL is writing my resolvers. Mm. 
And the reason that it's painful for me is that I'm used to Rails and the way that it does it is it'll set up a, a controller with a whole bunch right. of um, methods in it that essentially handle each, you know, of the CRUD operations. And in GraphQL, you have to set up a resolver for each of those. Mm. And that gets to be kind of a pain in the neck. So, yeah. But anyway, we're, we're kind of getting a little far afield. Um, so let's say that I decide tomorrow that I'm going to drop everything and figure out how to do this. Do you have any advice as far as where to start? Um, for example, um, I've had some people actually tell me, okay, go on. Um, you can go on like codecanyon.net and you can get a sample app, right? That it's basically a built app that plays audio um, and then figure out how to modify it, right? And so it's got all the layouts and everything done for you. And then I've had other people say, well, that works if you have a passable knowledge of how to build the app. But if you're learning this on your own, you're probably better off writing something from scratch. Mm. That's a good question. Because modifying code is sometimes harder than writing fresh code right. or vice. And sometimes it's easier the other way around because it's like, oh, well, I see what I need to change to tweak what I need. I'd say go for uh, starting from scratch, even though you probably will be um, slowed down and uh, with something trivial like, oh, how do I make this a round button rather than right. not round button? At least that's the type of stuff I get stuck on when I just learn something. It's like the, not, not the meat of what I was trying to do, but some stupid stuff. <laughs> uh, that's why I don't do CSS, okay? Like that thing's just killing me because uh, anyway, <laughs> side note. That's funny. Uh, otherwise, I would do a lot of uh, pages, like HTML pages, but this thing mm -hmm. just slows me down so much. Right. Um, yeah. No, go from scratch. There are lots of resources out there. Actually, specifically one that I would really recommend. Uh, what was his name? Ben. Uh, ben. I forgot his last name. Sherman? Yes. The NS Screencast. Yep. Fantastic resource. Former so, panelist on the show. Oh, nice. Yeah. Uh, he's, I don't know how many gazillions of episodes he got there at this point, but a lot. Yeah. Uh, very short episodes, like, well, screencasts, right? Maybe five to 15 minutes explaining one topic, like how to do that round button in iOS or how to do implement table view updates or whatever. Right. Or how to do core data insertions. Uh-huh. Fantastic. You just watch a quick video on that one specific topic and, and he shows an example. It's great. I learned back in the day, I learned so much. And especially right. as I was building something and I just, I had no idea how to do, uh, well, filtering in core data, for example. Right. And there was no time to read a thick book about it. And Stack Overflow just doesn't cut it. Right. So I just watched one of the videos and slowly but surely, you know, learned there, uh, you know, using that. that so I recommend, recommend that resource. And I also recommend not using Swift UI. Not because I don't like it, which I don't, but because it's just so new. And <laughs> <laughs> likely you won't find enough resources and something would just wouldn't work. It's yet. not old and boring enough for you yet, huh? Yes, exactly. <laughs> I mean, that's the way you put it, right? So Yeah. When, when, you know, when uh, Martin Fowler writes about it someday in one of his books, and it's like ages, at least five years, the, the book, I mean, not the technology, then maybe. Right. Um, All right, cool. Well, let's go ahead and uh, move to picks unless there's some other aspect of this that you think I ought to have brought up. No, I think uh, we kind of covered a lot, actually. Yep. All right, good deal. Well, um, yeah, let's do some picks. So my pick is, uh, you know, since we're all on the lockdown and everything's moving remote and all, uh, simple.com, a fantastic online bank. I've been using them for many years now. And yeah, that they just don't fail. They, they've been around doing remote and online even before it was a thing. Uh -huh. And now it's especially like they're ahead of everyone in that regard. Nice. 
Um, I'm going to do a couple of picks here as well. So um, let's see, what should I pick? So the first one I'm going to pick, and this is a book that I've been reading lately, is Cashflow Quadrant by Robert Kiyosaki. If you've read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, this is kind of his sequel. And uh, I'm really, really enjoying it. There's a ton of good stuff in there. Um, and so I'm going to pick that. Um, I love that book. Yeah. I, I was binging on all of the uh, Rich Dad series like a few months ago, just nonstop audio book. Oh, it's great. Yeah, great stuff. Um, what else was I going to pick? Um, so one other thing that I think I'm going to throw out here, and this is on a lark, on the spot, call me insane, blah, 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 whatever. Um, so you, some of you listeners are aware that I have in the past put on remote conferences. Um, now, I have not put on any remote meetups for iOS. Um, and to be honest, I just, I didn't have time to organize another thing. And so um, I'm, I am going to be putting on um, a remote conference for, um, for, uh, for this show. Okay. And I'm going to be doing it. I don't know if I'm going to do it the same week that WWDC and AltConf would have been, but it's going to be right around then. Okay. So, um, iOS remoteconf.com, um, is where that's going to be when this goes live. And, uh, so you can go check that out. I'm going to have a call for proposals probably open till the end of April. And that gives people like a month and a half after they've been selected to actually prep their talks. Um, we're doing it on Crowdcast. Um, I'm working on the community piece of it. I don't know if that's going to be a Slack room or something else. Um, I'm still figuring that part out. So um, I'm putting one on for JavaScript. So if you're in the web space and uh, you want that, that's going to be May 14th through or 13th through 15th. And so it's three days, 24 talks. Um, but yeah, I'm sorry, but the community needs conferences, you know, good, bad, or ugly. It needs conferences. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, we had one or two this year. We've had a bunch of people from the, the one in Singapore come on the show as guests, but at the end of the day, I mean, we need a place to get together. If somebody wants to help me organize an iOS meetup, and I'm saying this right off the bat, I haven't asked Alex. So, you know, I don't know. I don't know if he, he has the time or desire um, but yeah, if, if, if somebody wants to help pull that together, what I've been doing as kind of a pilot in April is I'm doing one in the afternoon on Monday, and then I'm doing one in the morning on Thursday. And what that does is then if you are in Asia or the U.S., it's in the afternoon U.S. time, but it's in the morning, maybe slightly early morning, but still morning uh, in Asia right? So Japan, Australia, New Zealand, you know, yeah. Um, depending on where you are, you might have to get up at like six and get on and, and join in, but at least you have something right. And with those, um, I'm just having people do like 20 minute presentations. Uh, and we're going to have like two of those. I'll probably also see if I can get somebody to come on and talk for five or 10 minutes about just some basic concept. And that way it's open to new, new people coming into the field right now and they can come in and kind of pick stuff up because, man, it's got to be hard when you can't go find a mentor somewhere. And then after that, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to open it up um, for kind of open chat time. And you'll, I'll just have people raise their hands. And then um, what that does is it takes a few minutes, right? Because you have to authorize your microphone and your, your uh, camera. Um, and I'm using Crowdcast and there's a Crowdcast app for your iPhone. So you can get on there as well. But then what that does is then you can actually join the call as a participant and we can just sit and chat, right? And so I'll just row people, rotate people off every few minutes, you know, and that way somebody can get on and say, okay, you know, we didn't have a presentation on this today, but I'm running into this issue where, you know, when I run my tests in iOS, it does this, or I just can't get this, you know, I can't get video to play on my app and I don't know what the deal is. Right. And so then somebody else can raise their hand and say, I have an answer for that. Right. And so then they get on and we just kind of have a chat for a few minutes and just open things up so that people can have the conversations that you're not getting right now because you can't go to a meetup because if you get together with more than a handful of people, you might wind up getting somebody deathly ill. So 
anyway, um, so I'm working on that. You can go to uh, devchat.tv slash meetups for the meetups that I'm holding. And if I find somebody that wants to help me run those meetups, um, great. And then um, the conference will be at um, iosremoteconf.com. And I will just have the CFP on there. So just click a link, CFP. All right, well, uh, enough plugging my stuff. Uh, go read Kiyosaki books. Um, let's go ahead and wrap this up. Yeah, I'm, I mean, good luck, everyone. Stay yep. away from other people. <laughs> yeah. All right, folks, we'll wrap this up. And until uh, next time, Max out. Bye. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.